You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. A week ago, Bert and I went to see, um, by the way, I'm Sheila. Did I say that part? As I'm complaining about no table. My name is Sheila. Bert happens to be my husband. Um, and uh, so that's where the story goes from here. About a week ago, a week ago today, actually, Bert and I went to see the movie Jesus Revolution in the theaters. Now, you might have seen it. You might not. You might be interested and you might not. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about it because it's pertinent to me and to my life. Um, the Jesus Revolution um, talks, it, it, it uh uh, recounts some of what was going on in California in the late 60s and the early 70s. Something pretty miraculous happened. There were the hippie movement and people were, you know, just um, young people, young people, I mean teenagers, they were walking away from the life as their parents lived in, drugs and all the things that go with that. And God began to move and in a way that if you read about it or if you happen to go and see the movie, it was it was just absolutely um, miraculous in how to point and say, how did this happen? But other than God was just really touching and opening up people's lives. So I knew what the movie was about, and we had some time in the afternoon, and we thought we would go and see it. And I knew what it was about. What I didn't know was that sitting in this movie, all of a sudden I was sitting there crying. And I was crying because they started playing music from that era. And I'm kind of old. Er, seasoned. I'm a little bit seasoned. So um, I happened to... What was that? I did not do it. I happened to come to faith on the tail end of that. Hey, look at that. Did you get what I got? All right. Um, I... Uh, there we go. I happened to come to faith on the tail end of that. You see, that movement didn't just stay in California. It rippled across the United States and Canada. And young people started to come to faith in lots of different pockets and denominations and in coffee shops and on the streets and on the beaches. And I came to know Jesus. I got saved on the ripple effect of that. So they started playing songs that I didn't even remember that I knew. And yet it hits something deep inside of me. And I'm sitting in the movie theater. Bert looks over at me and I'm crying. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, and it really touched me. And it's carried me along this week. And Bert, I mean, he's been watching some other things. And we've been reading some things about that Jesus movement. And praying, God, do it again. Touch young people again. Do it supernatural, whatever. However you do it, do it again. So, um... I think one of the significant things for me is it took me back to the early days of my faith and the kind of the purity, the simplicity of that faith, where I, I saw the love of God, the love of Jesus. I grew up in the church, but I never knew the love of Jesus. I saw the love of Jesus. I understood forgiveness. It was a simple faith, a simple Christianity, and there was so much joy and compassion and love in my heart. And I was a kid, just a teenager, 15, 16 years old. One of the songs in that era was a song by a guy named Chuck Gerard, and uh, it was called Return to Your First Love. And uh, Return to Your First Love, put Jesus first again. The, the love in your heart you had when you first started could be there again. And uh, I've been singing that this week, not putting two and two together, that the title of my sermon is Returning. Return to Your First Love. So today, 
We're going to talk about returning, and we're going to actually go through Psalm 32, um, beginning to end, 11 verses. And um, Psalm 32 is actually a pretty common psalm when churches have a practice in their Sunday sermons in the weeks leading up to Easter, when churches that, you know, follow some kind of calendar and... um have a Lent or a Lenten series like we're doing this year. Psalm 32 is actually a pretty common psalm, and it's a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of turning our eyes and our hearts back to Jesus. So before we get into that, what is Lent? You may ask. Um, Well, Lent's the season, 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And what do we do during Lent? Lent is meant to be a, a time of reflection and repentance, a renewed awareness that sin separates us from God and what it cost him to be reunited with us. So we are taking a journey towards Easter when we actually celebrate, we look at the death of Jesus and we celebrate his resurrection. But between then, this is actually supposed to be weeks and days of reflection and perhaps repentance and an awareness in your life and mine of what comes in and separates us from God. So why Psalm 32? Um, Here's a few things quickly about Psalm 32. It's actually called a penitential psalm or a confessional psalm. There's seven of them for people who like numbers. uh, You can think about that. Um, There's seven of them. Uh, They were called penitential songs since the 6th, Century. That's hard to say together. Um, so, because yeah, we have a faith that goes back for centuries, doesn't it? It's, this is nothing new. Um, and uh, it expresses, this psalm expresses deep sorrow, regret at having done wrong, and brings us to repentance. It's actually kind of a bit of an instruction on the means and results of confession and the relief, physical and spiritual, when we confess our sins to the Lord and he forgives us. Now, sin, you know, it's not one of those popular things to talk about. There's a lot of, you know, distortion of what sin is. Is chocolate sin or is there a city in Nevada called Sin City? You know, just, but what is sin? Tim Keller has probably one of the more helpful definitions for me about kind of what sin is and how I can identify things in my life. He says this, Sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. So, um... I have had two, as I've been working on this sermon, I've had two things going on. I had a sermon I was writing, and then on another document on my computer, I had my own personal reflections on Psalm 32. Every morning I'd get up and I'd read the psalm and I'd kind of pray through part of it. And, and then I was trying to write a sermon over here, and all of a sudden I thought, mm, maybe the two could be married, the two could become one. So what I'm going to do with you this morning, I'm not just going to say, I'm not going to go through and say this word means this, and this was what David meant, and this is why he wrote this. But I'm actually going to take you into my world. In fact, if you were in my room, you'd have to see my cozy chair and my cup of coffee and my Bible and my journal. And I'm going to take you through this psalm as I would pray through it. 
Because ultimately, some of the beauty in Psalms is that they're, they're prayers that we can take into our own heart that we can actually use to um, give us language that turns our eyes and focuses on Jesus, even language about things like sin and what separates us from God and repentance. So um, it's going to be like being with me in my cozy chair in my room going through this Psalm 32. We're going to go through three parts, Psalm 32. We're going to talk about the good life, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at the honest life, verses um, 3 through 7. And finally, we're going to close with some good advice, verses 8 through 11. So the good life, the Message Bible says, count yourself lucky. And let's read, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Two other translations, because sometimes when we hear something over and over again, it loses the impact, especially when there's a word like blessed or blessed. So let's read it in two other translations. The New Living Translation says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And the message, count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Well, um, as I as I was considering this psalm, it's a little different to walk through a psalm with a group of people. It's a little different. As, as I was considering the psalm, I just started writing things down. In fact, for a number of mornings in, the, in a row, I'd open my laptop and I had the psalm in there and I would just put my thoughts for the day. In fact, I have it printed out here and I changed the font every day so that I could kind of look at a glance and see where I was going as I was considering this psalm. So it starts out by saying you're blessed and um, oh, what joy or count yourself lucky. And count yourself lucky when your sin is covered. So how do I pray this when it's so easy to forget? It's easy to forget what my sin really is. Think about that quote from Keller. What things? They can be good things, but what things come in and get between you and me and God? It's easy to forget what my sin really is. The things I do to kind of save myself, that's the essence of sin, isn't it? Because that's the position of my heart, living like I'm my own God. Like I have to look after myself. Take me back to this, my prayer is regularly, this posture. I've felt, now here's some of my personal thoughts. I felt your hand of blessing. I'm praying to the Lord. I felt your hand of blessing in the last number of months when you've opened my eyes to my own sin. Isn't that what the blessed life, it, it says the blessed life is when you know your sins are forgiven, but to know your sins are covered and forgiven, you have to actually look and see what they are. You have to look into your own heart and let God look in there and see what those things are and bring them to him. I felt your hand of blessing in the last number of months when you've opened my eyes to my own sin. How about my anger, my envy, 
How about my resentment? You've drawn me closer to you, and I trust you a bit more when I open my heart to you. Look deep within at the things I reach for to save myself. Or into the places where it's so obvious that I don't trust you. When I see my own envy, my envy, I own it. I remind myself, I look to you. You have never, ever, ever abandoned me. You have given goodness to me. When it comes to envy, to comparison, I'm learning to guard my heart. Where does it slip in comparing my life to others? How about when I'm afraid? What things are inside of me? Where do I not trust you? Then there's the reminder, God's reminder of his provision for me. Do I fear that I won't have enough for the days ahead, for our retirement for Bert and I? When I consider your provision, when I worry about what you have in the future, as we look at our finances, that we consider uh, our CPP and our old age security. I know you guys aren't thinking about this. And our RSPs and IRAs. And, and as I look to my fears, my financial fears, I'm reminded of your constant, constant provision for us. And peace settles in. So where do I look into my own heart? Do I really believe this? That the blessed life is actually the forgiven life, but the past is a forgiven life. The writer says is the place where there's no deceit, where we're not playing games with ourselves and God and others, where we actually are courageous and brave enough to look inside and see what, are, what might be the things in me that I look to other than God. Do I really believe this? Do I count myself lucky? Do I stop here at the end of these two verses? Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Happy is the one. Full of joy. Do I believe this? And do I live my life this way? Because if I really did, then um, I wouldn't deny my sin. I wouldn't hide. I believe the best life that I could have is the forgiven life. And I would be eager to look for the places where darkness separates me from God. I think that's what the psalmist is telling us. Which takes us on to verses 3 to 7. And in 3 to 7, I, I wrote down here, what words might best describe these verses? Brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. But a good place. What is the honest life? Let's read verses 3 to 7. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and, my, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you can be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The psalmist starts saying, here's what a blessed life is. But you know the past to get to that blessed life is going to be this one, the honest life. 
Because the psalmist tells us, if I keep silent about my sin, I actually shrivel up and die on the inside. I don't have a life that flourishes. If I am not honest about the times when I look to um, finances, or I look to my education, or I look to my family. My goodness, when my kids were little, so much of my identity was wrapped up in my children. If they did well... Mom was doing well, but if they were struggling, I must have made a mistake somewhere. I mustn't have been a good parent. It became about me. Uh, how many times do, does our, our um, what's inside of us get wrapped up in a relationship or in your career? Or maybe it is some of the other things like envy or gluttony. That's one we don't like to talk about. Or greed. Whoever wants to admit they're greedy. And yet um, the psalmist tells us when you keep silent... And you don't look honestly at what's going on on the inside of you. There's a groaning inside of us, a separation between us and God. And it, the psalmist says, and your hand was heavy upon me. You know, God doesn't put a heavy hand on you. You don't feel the pressures of life. I'm going to call it that, the pressures of life. You don't feel the pressures of life because God is out to get you. Well, he is out to get you, but he's out to get your heart. He's out to draw you back to himself. This is the season of Lent when we're looking at the price that was paid for us, at the cost, at the resurrection of Jesus that we want to celebrate as we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And yet the path to that is a path of honesty, of looking at what things, not just before you put your faith in Jesus, because wouldn't we love that? Wouldn't we love to say that I was like this dirty old sinner, and then I got saved, whatever the language would be, and now I've arrived, because none of us, we know we haven't arrived there. We know that there's still things that cause us to stumble. There's an old term called besetting sin. I think it's kind of cool, besetting sin. It's kind of like the thing that keeps popping its head up again and again and again. Me, I I read a little bit about envy. I have trouble with envy. I will see things that other people have, and something inside of me says, God has let me down because I don't have that too. Okay, I don't think that in my head, but I kind of live that way, or it kind of comes out of me, and then I get a little resentful, kind of like, uh, mm, if only I had that, I'd be happy and maybe go, you know, you can go down such dark holes when there's things in our life. Maybe maybe it's pride, thinking that um, that I know it and I figured it all out. And then how do I humble myself when maybe I was wrong about things? So um, I see the darkness inside me. And when I confess my sin, I actually come to a new place of freedom. Freedom, love, trust, gratitude, and worship. And we sing a lot of songs here, and yet there's those times when you actually realize what Christ has done for you. And your heart, what he's done for you, not theoretically, but the dirty stuff on the inside of you that kind of wants to pop up. And you realize that he saw that and you're forgiven, and worship bubbles up in your heart. It's hard to own my own sin. I think of my anger. Um, sometimes I've exploded at people, and I think, but they deserved it. They had There was something they really needed to hear from me, uh, maybe. But, um, but sometimes it's the terrified little girl in me that is worried about not being seen, and that isn't trusting that God's got me. 
and I'm not feeling safe, and what is it? It's sin. And I'll call it what it is, and when I call it what it is, when it's buried within me, I won't flourish. When I confess my sins, when I'm not silent, when I'm honest with myself, with God, and with others, with people who are close to us, then that blessed and flourishing life is mine. If I don't, I'll waste away. That's what the psalmist said. Uh, I want to talk about fear just for a minute, because fear is a big thing in my life. Um, I was walking down the street in 2020 when there wasn't a lot we were allowed to do other than walk down the street. Um, so I'd go for walks every day and I'd listen to podcasts and I was exploring this thing called the Enneagram, which is not important to the sermon today at all, except walking down the street beside my house, I realized that I'm an Enneagram six. Again, not important, except that the thing that drives the Enneagram six is fear. And, uh, you know, I've thought before that, you know, I can be a little, um, hmm. well, I plan ahead and I think of all the contingencies and, and, uh, you know, I take really good care of the people around me. And yet once in a while, you just got to look and be honest and say, the thing that has driven me for a lot of my life is fear. And fear says, actually, God, that I've got this because I can't trust you with it. So I'm going to look after myself. And, you know, it was in that moment when I actually admit something about myself. Sometimes you think if you admit something that's kind of a little messy on the inside of you, you're going to kind of cave in and disappear. And actually the truth that comes is what the psalmist talks about. When there's no conceit in you, there's no hiddenness, there's no lie, there is actually... Um, a place of life. And uh, do I still get fearful? Absolutely. But I know what to do with it. I know who to take it to, my father. I know who to be honest with it about, the people around me who are affected by my fears. And, uh, and every time I feel like I have a little more strength, a little more strength because of honesty to deal with the things that have troubled me in the past. I, I hate to use the word feel, but I feel a little better. Um, I maybe taste a little bit of a little bit more of God and his goodness, his work in my life. Uh, so the blessed life, a blessed life is a life that's forgiven, but forgiving, but coming to that place of forgiveness, not just once in our life, but that that's the life that we live out from the time we come to faith in Jesus to the time we go and see him face to face is that honesty before the Lord, that willingness, the courage to look on the inside of me. What are the things that mm, I'd love to say I only live for God, but sometimes I live for my husband and my kids and my daughters-in-law. And, you know, just what we're places, they're not, they're not bad things. But when we take them from being things that are good, make them things that are ultimate, or maybe it is a bad thing. Maybe it's envy and gluttony and deceit. I want to live that life that the psalmist is talking about, the blessed, the oh, what joy kind of how lucky are you life, that my slate is clean, not because I never do anything wrong, not because there's never any sin with me, but I know what to do with it, not to hide it away on the inside so I'm going to shrivel up and die, but to come clean before God and others and to experience that, that place. The writer calls it 
the hiding place. I don't know, but a hiding place to me seems like a pretty safe place to be. When the place that you're hidden, another psalm says it's under the, the wing of God, a place of protection. Finally, um, I like the last three verses. I like it all, but I like the last three verses. What words might describe this best? Um, psalmist says he has some good advice for us. The Message Bible says, let me give you some advice. I'm looking you in the eye and giving it to you straight. Let me give you some advice. So we've progressed from what a good life looks like, what it's going to take to get there. And then the psalmist, actually, in that middle section, he's talking about his own walk. He's not telling you and me what to do. He's talking about his own walk. And then the language turns, and he says, no, I'm going to give you some advice. And here it is. Let's read these words. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This is my favorite line. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sores of the wicked, but the steadfast, I love that word, steadfast never moves. It's steadfast. It's never going to go anywhere. Sorry, I got sidetracked. The steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, and shout for joy, O upright of heart. Some good advice. And then I pause here, and I think, he has something to say, some instruction the psalmist does. And actually, we do too. We can say, huh, I know what a blessed life is. And I know how to get there, and I can help somebody else on that path. I will instruct you, and I'll teach you in the way you should go. And he says, don't be like a horse or a mule. So what do we know about mules? See, if you're going to look up the word stubborn, you're going to see a picture of a mule. A horse or mule that needs a bridle or a bit. Here's what I know about God. God wants to get you somewhere. And if it means by putting a bridle or a bit, whatever that figurative you looks like, he's got a path and a plan for you. And it might be if you're stubborn that you need the bit and the bridle and God to kind of pull you along. Oh, but there's a better way. The psalmist has shown us a better way. The, the better way to the blessed life is that honesty between you and God. Not burying and hiding things within us not living a life of conceit, or all the other great language that this psalmist uses, but opening our hearts and our minds in honesty, seeing what the Lord's done, that gratitude that flows up. We don't want to be like a mule. God will still guide you. He'll direct you. He'll pull you along. But don't be like the mule. The message says, don't be ornery like a horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle. When God's hand feels like it's heavy upon you, when God and when it feels like maybe, you know, he's needing to pull you along, it's not because he's out to get you. Well, he is. He's out to get you to the place that Psalm 32 takes us. And Psalm 32 takes us to a place where we see who he who we are and see who he is. 
and come to that honesty and that repentance and set aside the things that get in the way in our life. I want to just finish off with a few um, a few New Testament scriptures about Jesus, because ultimately, you know, when the psalmist penned this, he didn't know what the future held. He didn't know what you and I know. He knew something about repentance, and he knew something about turning his heart towards God, but he did not know that one was going to come who was going to pay the price for us. So as we close today, I want to look at four, well, start with three scriptures about Jesus. How does God cover our sins? The psalmist didn't know. I skipped a slide, didn't I, Natalie? Let's look at Tim Keller one more time. The gospel is this, because this is a good one. I don't want to skip it. The gospel, the good news that we find out about in Jesus is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's hard to admit, right? The stuff inside of you. But yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How do I know this? Some verses for you. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace, whose grace? God's grace through Jesus. You have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works that anyone should boast. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For some of you, if you've been a Christian a long time, these are so familiar. If you haven't been a Christian a long time, these are worth knowing. For his, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did he do? He took our sin, he put it on him, that we receive righteousness, not because we're good at repenting, like what we looked at at that, because ultimately we need his forgiveness, the forgiveness that was paid for by Jesus. How about 1 Peter 2.24? He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree or on the cross, so that we can actually die to sin and live to righteousness because by his wounds we're healed. And finally today, before we take communion together and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, this wasn't like a fun, oh gosh, tell funny stories kind of sermon. That's not what Lent is about. Lent is a journey. Last week, Rich talked about testing. If you haven't seen it, go back online and look at it. And today we're talk we talked about returning, but it's really about repentance. And we're going to continue on this path. This is what the Lent season is about. And so um, when all is said and done, I hope that something I've said today is going to give you in your heart just a little bit of courage or maybe a whole lot to look inside and just ask. And maybe pray through this psalm this week on your own and say, during this season of Lent, when I'm to be considering what the Lord has done for me, and I look with courage at the condition of my own heart. Maybe you've never, I'm, I don't know where people are at here, maybe you've never taken that first step in the journey of faith towards Jesus. Maybe you, you're here and you're curious, but you say, I've been to church, or maybe I haven't, but I've never experience that forgiveness. This might be the day for you. 
And if you feel like something inside of you, there's a curiosity and there's a desire to know who God is and what Jesus has done, please come and talk to one of us at the end of the service. Rich, myself, Bert, anybody on the worship team, somebody who looks like they know what they're doing, come and talk to us. And if you're a little shy about doing that, then fill out a card, you know, a piece of paper a little more. Uh, fill out the next steps card and say, I'd really like to get to know this Jesus. I'd really like to have that cleansing on the inside of me. So what might your next step be? Your next step may be that first step to follow Jesus. And now we're going to, um, the worship team's going to come up. We're going to uh, sing a beautiful song about remembering who Jesus is to us. We're going to take communion together. I don't know what order we're doing this in, but God help us all in this time to turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.